Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Today we are on here with Carl Peterson and Julie Peterson with Peterson Farm Seed. Uh, they're approaching 30 years in business. They currently sell seed in corn, soybeans, IP soybeans, wheat, and yellow peas. Um, from my knowledge, they specialize in the area of North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, and they don't really uh, get too far out of those regions. But uh, with that, I'd like to welcome both of you to the show. Thank yeah, well, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, I guess let's let's start the uh, let's start the podcast with how this story all started. Um, from what I could tell online, it, one of your guys' grandparents started the farm back in 1918. Does that sound right? Yeah. So I'm third generation on this farm. Uh, my grandfather was born and raised in Wisconsin. Basically, worked his way up here on farms. Had a job on a large grain farm, uh, just as a laborer, worked his way into being an engineer. He was pretty handy as a blacksmith. And uh, eventually he sold uh, his little blacksmith shop and bought the land that we live on at the worst time in a hundred years to buy farmland. Uh, and uh, I graduated from college or Julie and I did in 1981. And we bought farmland at the second worst time in the last hundred years to buy farmland. Uh, he didn't live long enough to whack me upside the head and go, what are you doing, you moron? But um, yeah, so we struggled through that. Julie? I grew up on a fifth generation Iowa farm, uh, Northeast Iowa. My family um, homesteaded in Iowa in 1852, I believe, and uh, family still on that farm. Um, very homogeneous township. They were just, it was just made up of all family. So um, I didn't have a lot of um, outside, I shouldn't say I don't, didn't have contact, but didn't have um, really much knowledge of farming beyond uh, Iowa until I went to Iowa State. And I met this North Dakota farm boy who talked about sunflowers and wheat and stuff I'd never had seen before. And by golly, you know, I came up here and fell in love with North Dakota farmers. Um, some of the really the best, most intelligent um, farmers, I think, in the U.S. And I'm very proud to, um, yeah, support them. 
Yeah. Awesome. So you've been up there, you went up there right after college? Right after college. Yep. Um, Carl was farming. Carl came home to the farm to farm. Um, I got a job with a little startup. Um, I was a 10th employee at a software startup called Great Plains Software, which later has become um, Microsoft's Dynamics um, accounting platform. Um, And so I got a lot of lessons really early. I I had such tremendous opportunities to learn about tech and about the the kind of culture that tech companies were building, um, you know, both in Boston and on the West Coast. But we were doing it right here in North Dakota, which was unheard of. Um, So I just got to do things that I should never have been able to do as a 23-year-old. Um, that's cool. It was really cool. Yeah. And it It, laid the foundation for our business. Yeah. It sort of helped that she was really good at it. So, you know, yeah, heck yeah, for sure. So, so what were you guys growing at the time when you first started? Uh, so we, we were growing, uh, wheat and sunflowers, uh, heavy on the wheat, uh, that transitioned really in the early eighties to more soybeans. Uh, sunflowers are a fickle crop. There's a lot of diseases and bugs, and so they'll kind of come in waves. Uh, and then we added corn both to the rotation and to the seed company about 15 years ago, I think. Is that when North Dakota really started to roll over to more corn? Um, yeah. Uh, well, we were a little ahead of that. Um, you know, we're maybe ahead of the history of the story, but we were very fortunate that we started our company just as Roundup beans were coming on the scene and there was an expansion in soybean acres in our footprint. Uh, so that was very helpful to us. Uh, nothing that we were looking at foresight. That was just, you know, dumb luck. Uh, we do feel a little more uh, responsible for the fact that we looked at the corn market and said, that's coming, that's coming here. So when we first started uh, our corn business, a lot of our, close neighbors and north and west of us, they're like, Where do you, what are you going to do with all this corn? Nobody's nobody's planting corn and go, well, they will. And of course, now they are. Yeah, for sure. So I'm assuming the RFS had a lot to do with that. And 07 with ethanol coming that way. Or? Um, to a degree, you know, it created more demand. But I think the real driver was the improvement in corn genetics mm-hmm. uh, in the early, uh, early maturities. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. So. Yeah, I remember when I first started going up to North Dakota to speak, it was probably 08, 09. I, yeah, there was, I mean, corn had gone nuts already, and there was a lot of corn everywhere. So, yeah, I thought it was impressive. Yeah. One of the challenges of our, of our area, our footprint, is the variability is is, is huge, right? So, um, you know, this year, their planting intentions are 800,000 bushels more, or acres more corn than there was a year ago. Yeah. Um there was a lot of prevent plant two years ago, a lot of corn two a year before that, a lot of prevent plant. Uh, so it, it makes it a little challenging to manage inventories uh, in a corn business. Um, but, you know, uh, we're right here. So hopefully it makes it harder, more hard, more difficult for the large companies to do that uh, than for us, which maybe that's an, it's a difficulty, but also maybe an advantage. Yeah, makes sense. So you want to back it up? I jumped the gun there a little bit, but no, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so we were, 
uh, I was farming. We were having kids. Uh, Julie decided she was going to be a part-time employee at Great Plains. And very quickly, we learned she's not really wired for part-time employment. Uh, I remember waking up and, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, she's gone. She uh, had some ideas and, you know, very quietly got dressed and went to work. Um, so she came home to to manage the kids while I was managing the farm. And then uh, as the seed business kind of took off, it's like, hey, uh, I need help. Fortunately, our kids were big enough then. So it's been a great blessing that, you know, this journey, it's, you know, we're partners in, yeah, in our house and raising our kids and our family, but also in our business. So, you know, really in every aspect of life. And uh, that's just been a huge blessing to, to me and hopefully to her as well. Yeah. Uh, pe- people sometimes ask, you know, how is it working with your wife on business every day, all the time? And, you know, my answer is that it's 97% awesome and 3% pure hell. And uh, uh, so you're laughing, Kevin, but I think that, you know, maybe you understand what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I'm told that her answer is the same, but her percentages are different. Uh, <laughs> but nobody will tell me what they are. So. No, no, I hear you. It's a definite... uh crazy fine balance. That's for sure. I try to tell Jordan the same thing. Michelle often tell me like, I'm not your damn employee. You know, it's like, you know, talk to her like, uh, yeah, I'm her, I'm, I'm her husband and her, she's my wife rather than, but it's just hard sometimes, you know, just, you said it's just, it's tricky, but it's definitely mm-hmm. worth. I mean, it's worth the, uh, effort to make it work. So. Yeah. Cool. It's, uh, I yeah. wouldn't want it any other way. No, that's what I said. I couldn't have done it without her. So. Or no. sir. No. no. How many you kids? Know, it, how many kids did you end up having? Uh, we only have three. We should have had more. Yeah. Um, uh, we had two two boys, and then uh, I said, "That's it. I I want to play man to man defense, not zone." Yeah. And uh, uh, she said, "Now we should have some more." So we, you know, uh, uh, five years later, we had a little girl and. Uh, kind of kicking myself we could have had two more in there we could have had five pretty easy yeah uh, we we look back the same way we had two and then kind of thought well we've been blessed we'll just take a break we should have gone for uh gone for the big family you know it'd been been a lot of fun as we got older so but yeah yeah we were we were sure busy during those years though but yeah. you know and and you know this when you're when you're building your family um I think our kids were so um, energized. They were so jazzed by learning about stuff around the dinner table, right? Um, I mean, we ate dinner together most times, but, you know, they learned about payroll taxes. They learned about what what, um, tax policies in Washington were going to do to our business. They learned about unemployment. They learned about, you know, so many things that they never would have had an opportunity to learn if we weren't building a business at the same time. That's true. Very true. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. With our, so in, yeah. in one sense, I feel like a little bit of a failure as a dad, because uh, I know you're a football player, Kevin, but you know, my kids, they couldn't name a single NFL football player, uh, <laughs> but they could probably tell you who the secretary of transportation was. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, yeah. It's that's Jordan and I now he's seeing now he's building a business. Hell, he doesn't know what's happening in the, in football or baseball. People are talking. He's like, Man, I don't even know what's going on, Dad. I haven't watched any game. I haven't seen any. I said, Yeah, welcome to the uh, welcome to building the business world. So I know yeah. it's really great fun, though, isn't it, Jordan? 
<laughs> it is. It is. It's it's all right, but you you can only relate to certain people with certain things now. So like just small talk. I'm like I don't I don't even know what's happening. So it'll be like news news headlines or Hillary, my fiance, will be like, "Hey, did you hear about?" She was talking about some guy that uh, lost his mind out in Nevada. Has been all over the news, and I'm like, "I I don't even know what you're talking about." Like, sure. <laughs> We've got blinders on sometimes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I, it's focus, Kevin. Focus, not yeah, blinders. No, true. There you true, go. Very true. And I tell <laughs> Jordan the same thing. I mean, my grandma always told me when I was just when I was young doing some little side businesses as a kid, she'd always be like, Look, it's like a magnifying glass. You know, she'd take me out and let me try and start a fire with a magnifying glass. She's like, you know. If you move the damn thing all over the place, you're never going to start a fire. You got to hold it focused, keep it right steady and right there. And I always remembered that. And I and that's when I'm at my best or our businesses are at our best when we stay, stay focused. But it's hard as entrepreneurs or as business owners. I, you know, I think like you say, you get, I'm always wanting to do, oh, that looks like that'll be a great business. That's a good business idea. My wife's like, no more, please slow down. Let's focus here. So. Sure. So that sounds kind of familiar because, you know, if you're going to run a business, you need somebody who's like going, oh, squirrel. Um, but then you also <laughs> need someone who, you know, keeps the wheels on. And that's really how Julie and I complimented each other. Uh, and, you know, she is focused on keeping the wheels on, always has been. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if it was just me, it'd be a complete catastrophe. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. It'd be a I lot of fun, you. though. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what she says he's way more yeah. fun than i am uh too funny so back in the you know the late 80s early 90s we sort of had muddled our way through the farm crisis and we're still on our feet and we were looking for other things to do we looked at christmas trees we looked at laundromats we had a, a small pre-commercial scale raspberry farm here uh speaking of catastrophes and uh <laughs> Uh, you know, and for, then looking for value added something. Right. Um, yeah. And then uh, in 1993, uh, there's tremendous wheat scab problem in the wheat. In fact, you know, the headlines in the paper were, uh, are we going to have to haul this wheat to a, a hazardous landfill? Elevators slam their doors. And uh, we were told you could separate the good from the bad with the gravity separator. So we did that. We cleaned wheat 24 hours a day throughout that winter, cleaned an entire unit train of wheat. And, uh, and then we sort of went, well, that's kind of like being in the seed business. We should, we should just go in the seed business because it was conditioning the seed. Go ahead. Time out. So I got to say, you know, he makes this sound really easy. There was this decision that we, you know, had to buy a gravity separator. We sat around our dining room table and went, do we have the money to buy a gravity separator? Not really. I mean, this, these were big decisions back in that day. You know, I got to put shoes on my kids' feet and you want to buy a gravity separator. So I have to give Carl much credit for always um, embracing stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense at the time and, and making it work. <laughs> Sure. And, it, and it was a bootstrap operation, right? So we bought the gravity separator. We cobbled together a little building. I sent a, 
a young man to Canada with a pickup and said, just fill it up with augers and heads and tails and, you know, just get as much as will fit in the pickup and bring it home. And we, we got it working. Uh, so then we thought, well, let's go into seed business. And very soon we discovered that, yeah, okay, conditioning seed is a small part of the seed business, but really it's about uh, genetics and soon to be traits and marketing and, you know, quality controls and logistics. And, you know, it's like, well, we don't know anything about any of that stuff, but we're here now. We better figure it out. And that's basically our been our modus operandus ever since. It's like, well, we're going to go try this thing. We have no idea how to do it. We'll figure it out on the fly. I hear that many times, right? Jump off the uh, cliff and build the airplane on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> Hope like hell you can anyway, right? <laughs> That's yep. uh, And you made, right. you made another good point, Julie, at that. Because Jordan and I and uh, my daughter and our family have been talking about it a lot. It's it, When you're looking to find a business to go in or something to do on top of what you got going on. We like to find an asset and then see if our family can add value to that asset. Like you were saying, how can you build value in whatever it is you're looking at? So for us, sometimes we do a lot with uh, old historical buildings or buildings because my wife's really good in real estate and my daughter's an architect and she's really good. And so Jordan and I will handle the heavy lifting and the contracting side and they kind of do the other side. So that's kind of our value add on some things and different farms too as well and, and our marketing. But yeah, just like you guys said, you look for something and saw a place you might be able to dive in and add some value. And I think that's awesome. So, Well, we so. did have one acre of raspberries growing here as a trial. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think back to, oh, I'm so glad that raspberry business didn't work out. Yeah. What happened there? Because we have a lot of friends that try to go into a real niche specialty crop. And then I don't know what what happens that throws that uh, off track. What do you guys think? Go ahead. Um, sir. I'm, so, so I'll just say stepping out and putting an acre of raspberries on our home farm was the first step at doing something entrepreneurial outside of farming. Right. Because we did something that the neighbors were gonna look at us and go, I think those people have lost their minds. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, but we probably have lost our minds in some ways. So, you know, we're like, okay, well, let's just try this. So we don't know anything about this. So this is the same approach to any other business you go into. It's like, well, we're gonna learn all we can about this. So, you know, we went to Canada, we looked at mechanical raspberry pickers and we, you know, talked to everybody we could talk to. We figured out, you know, well, there's the fresh market, there's the process market. Uh, Minnesota uh, had a small fruits conference. We went to, uh, went down there and a lot of these people there were, you know, um, a little more, I don't know, I want to say maybe folksy uh, than, than businessy. And they kept talking about, uh, uh, Driscoll's, you know, Driscoll's this big company and how terrible Driscoll's was. It's like, you know, we better figure out who these Driscoll's people are. That's an amazing company. They are, they are awesome. They're the people that you get fresh raspberries in North Dakota in the middle of January and they're good. And, uh, uh yeah, it just sort of, it just sort of fizzled. It really wasn't, uh, you know, something that was suitable to our conditions. 
but it was uh, it was a it was an experience. Now we have an office building full of people sitting on that land, so I think that's yeah. better. Makes me laugh though, because it was the first step. It gave us courage to try weird stuff. That's kind of it, though. I have uh, Jordan and I have a friend. He's built several multi-million dollar businesses. And one of his lines is he says, you know, you got to be willing to let people, I mean, you got to be willing to be silly to some degree and not be scared that you're going to look silly when you go out and do something. Because I think for a lot of people, they just don't try because they don't want to look foolish or they're afraid that what the neighbors might think or their peers might think. And, but like you said, a lot of our biggest failures have been our biggest successes because we learn from them and then Right. Ourselves up, dust ourselves off and jump back in and try something different. So now, internally, probably the scariest thing my team ever hears is me saying, you know, I've been thinking. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but I refer to a lot of those things as kissing the frogs. Right. Yeah. Uh, not that I am looking for a handsome prince myself, but, you know, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find a handsome prince. And, and um, you just don't. You make small bets on those crazy ideas. Yeah, they probably don't like it when you take a break, Carl, and go on a little vacation. Um, well, lots of ideas, bro. Go to farm time and you come back full of ideas, right? <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, but that's really what it's about, right? So, you know, you have to try different things. Um, so when we started our business, you know, we had a few things that we wanted to say. So we'd never sold any seed to anybody. So uh, one of our principles, we need to be useful to the people that we need to succeed, right? So we don't breed, uh, and but we need genetics and traits companies. So uh, we run a very large replicated research uh, operation up here. We do uh, uh, research for, it led to a lot of contract research, research on our own, uh, because research is hard. Nobody wants to do it and nobody wants to do it up here, but you need it up here. So uh, that's almost been, pretty successful as a separate endeavor, although it drives a lot of our business. Uh, and then if to start with, you know, one of our focuses is how do we look bigger uh, than what we really are, right? Um, you know, and I had Julie talk about that. Julie has done all our marketing for most of the history of the company and uh, has been a huge driver of our success as well. Well, when we were trying to look bigger, we just repurposed everything, um, made letterhead that, you know, back in the day, there were some small companies that were making letterhead that didn't look professional. Um, we just always tried to have very excellent materials that um, made us look bigger, I guess, um, and, and just tried to build confidence. I think the other marketing message that that was really important to us, our success is we picked our, our pillars and we just never changed them. We just kept talking about the same pillars over and over and over and over. And our pillars were, were very high quality, high excellence. Um, we were going to compete on relationships. We we're going to be relationship sellers. And we just never deterred from that. We just kept pounding on the same messages in different ways. Um, and that was very successful over time. And you got to, you got to see a lot of that, Julie, from your experience with uh, White Plains. 
I'm assuming. Great Plains. Yeah. Great Plains, excuse me. And yeah. how that, uh, and how that kind of played out. Yeah, that I'm sure. You, you know, and another another thing that was interesting back then, um, so Great Plains was going to Las Vegas to Comdex back okay. in the day. That's where all the computer shows were coming in. So everybody's coming in, everything's shiny, everything is um you know, sleek. Uh, that was that was what a company did. Um, that's what software was. And so, how is this North Dakota company going to stand out? How is this North Dakota company going to get any press? So, back in the day, Great Plains took some bales of hay and some cowboys and gave lassoing lariat lessons at Comdex. Uh-huh. Um, that was a lesson that really stuck with me that if you're going to compete with the big guys, you better, you better be David with a slingshot because, um, you got to look different. And we did some, some things that probably look silly, but were very different. Carl, yeah. you can talk about naming your first soybeans because yeah, so, um, ridiculous. I, I don't know. You guys might, have you ever heard of Amarillo Slim? No. So Amarillo Slim was a, a pretty famous gambler uh, back in the 70s. Okay. And uh, he won a lot of weird bets. Like he bet he could hit a golf ball a mile. Uh, and so he took a golf ball up on a high peak and hit it out onto a frozen lake and it went a mile. Uh, <laughs> so one day he and his buddies were sitting around and he said, uh, I'll bet I can beat anybody you can put up against me in table tennis or ping pong. Right. And of course, this is kind of an absurd thing. He wasn't an athlete. He was a gambler. And uh, uh, one of his buddies said, fine, they, they made the bet uh, $10,000 and they set it for like six weeks in advance. And uh, so his buddy went out and hired a Taiwanese table tennis champion. So I don't know if you remember back in the 80s when, or not in the 80s, or been in the 70s when Nixon opened up China and they had the Chinese uh, ping pong people coming around. They're just absolutely incredible, right? So he hired this Taiwanese champion. And so the day comes and Amarillo Slim walked. Oh, he made one stipulation. I get to pick the paddles. So uh, he wasn't stupid. He knew that the rules of ping pong said nothing about the paddles. You can play with anything you want. So the day came and he, uh, he walked into the arena and he walked up to the Coke machine. This is back in the day of, 10 ounce bottles and he bought two 10 ounce bottles of Coke, dumped them out on the ground and said, these are our paddles. Uh, Well, and of course in that interim, he spent all his time practicing playing ping pong with a Coke bottle. Yeah. Uh, And he won the bet because, you know, the other guy didn't really know what to do with that. So, so we refer to that as making your competition play ping pong with a Coke bottle. Um, So you got to do things they can't do. So, so we came to our first soybean variety. A lot of Norwegians up in this part of the country. So there's a lot of Oli and Lena jokes or Oli and Sven jokes. So, okay, we've got our first private labeled soybean. What are we going to name it? I said, I think we should name it Oli. <laughs> and uh, everybody looked at me like I was nuts. But <laughs> the point of it is, at that time, all the, you know, the varieties were either like 57, yeah. 22. Who right. remembers that? No, uh, you, you know, or you know, like ferocious names, like, you know, as Maverick, whatever, like everybody remembered Oli uh, and that helps. So oh, yeah. uh, when we got a little bit 
uh, our next variety came along. It was a little earlier. So we named that one Lena. Uh, it had to have a girl's name because, you know, girls mature faster than boys. There and, you go. Uh, a little bit of shtick. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, fast forward 20 years later, we put out our wheat first wheat variety um, here a couple of years ago, and we named that one Buns. So, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, so so then you can kind of say, you know, everybody's checking out our buns or, you know, yeah. things like that, which are, they, you know, we're not going over the line. No. But, you know, they're, yeah, a little funny. So, yeah. And like you said, I think it makes it easy for people to remember and a little catchy. And yeah, that's good stuff. Yep. Sure. Yep. So, so we're got- never, never afraid that anybody was going to think we we're silly. <laughs> after that <laughs> that's what i'm saying right and and lena was um an ip soybean that we took um to japan um and really did well for many many years after even we didn't want it to anymore right yeah. huh. and a lot of those things happen she mentioned japan you know you answer the phone and somebody on the other end says hey uh can you or would you be interested in doing whatever right uh and my answer is pretty much always yes uh, so at one point we had uh, we weren't doing anything with wheat anymore but somebody called me up and said hey would you be interested in helping me export some organic wheat to japan i'm like yeah sure why not let's try that what happens right and and that didn't turn into a thing but that led us into uh, for a number of years we exported ip uh, soybeans uh, to the far east and I got to travel uh, with my boys uh, all over that part of the world um, that business kind of fizzled from some transportation issues uh, but um, you know we origin of our uh, first wheat variety we had a company that we do a lot of business with in soybeans they said hey we got uh, we've got some spring wheat varieties never been tested in North America uh, would you be interested in Test them, testing them. And I said, well, sure, we'll test them. They'll probably be terrible. Um, uh, and we tested them and turned out, you know, a few of them were exceptional. So, uh, you know, just by saying, sure, we'll try that. Uh, as long as it's not something that's going to put what you're doing in jeopardy, your main business, it's uh, useful to try different things. And that's kind of how we got into yellow peas and, and you know, who knows what's next. Yeah, you're right. We had that same conversation. Like I said, saw a lot of similarities. Uh, told my daughter when a door opens, you know, go through it and see what that leads to five, six other doors. And you never know what's uh, yeah. those doors. So just keep kind of exploring and see what happens as you as you go through there. And that's that sounds like how you guys uh, went about it. So yeah, once in a while you get your head slammed in the door, but yeah, it's the way it goes. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. So when did the kids start getting involved? So our kids helped us growing up. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, we you raise your kids and you say, now, don't worry what we want for you. Um, follow your own dreams. Uh, and then, you know, they think you actually meant that. And so they end up all over the place. And you kind of want to say, no, I was kidding. I was kidding. I want you to... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so our three kids, our oldest son is in Iowa, very successful uh, entrepreneurial ag business there. Uh, our second son is on the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. Oh, wow. Uh, and you can see him on uh, Fox News Channel, a lot of 
a lot of uh, Saturday shows, they have their Potomac watches on that probably half the time. Uh, and then our daughter is, uh, I always mess this up, Julie. She's a partner in a public relations firm that does uh, patient advocacy. She lives okay. in D.C. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But Kyle thing. built our first website, probably our <clears throat> second website. Actually, it was Eric that built our first website. Kyle took over after that. Uh, mm, I was at a farm show happy. and this uh, 10 or 12-year-old kid walks up to me and says, Dad, I could, I can do a website for the company. I'm like, yeah, sure you can, whatever. You know, and a little bit later, he hands me a business card that's got a URL on it. And he goes, here, go to this website. Why? Just go there. So I went there and, you know, there was, you know, our company for sure yeah. up there, you know. And uh, and so then uh, he did that for a while. And then he passed that off to his brother. And, uh, his brother did that for actually that was his summer job for a while. Uh, yeah. our, our kids have allergies especially our second son. So he, he's allergic to soybeans, which was kind of a problem. Uh, <laughs> really? We, we, we yeah. built the soybean processing plant in the yard. Uh, so, um, uh, but. Yep. So he found a different way. No, I agree. Yeah. You said you traveled with him. You took him to trips and took yeah. him. To uh, we did. So uh, we traveled to Japan uh, on on selling trips of IP beans. And one of the things that they do in Japan uh, is at the end of the day, after doing business all day, they want to go see who can drink the most. Oh. Um, and that wasn't really something I was interested in. So I was always able to say, well, then I'd like to come with you, but I've got my 16-year-old son with me, so I better, uh, I better stay back with him. Yeah. And then, of course... When you get uh, when you get a teenage boy that far away from home, uh, he's going to have to talk to you. He's nobody else for him to talk to, uh, and it's a great opportunity for them to you know see part of the world, expand their horizon a little bit. Yeah, that's true. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, for sure. We kind of quit went, that. You guys went on one of the first trade missions to Ca to Cuba too. We that did was that very too. Interesting. Oh, wow. we did that too. Uh, yeah, I still have a box of cigars that Fidel Castro handed me personally. Really? Uh, yeah, if you touch them, they'd probably turn to dust. I don't yeah. smoke cigars, but you know. So does your 16-year-old son, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he's 38 now. Um, funny. Our daughter, uh, a few years later, she said, you, she came to me, she said, you owe me a trip. Uh, I go, what are you talking about? You took the boys to you know, Japan and all over. And it's like, you didn't take me any place. You owe me a trip. I go, hey, I don't owe you anything. Uh, but if we were going to go someplace, where would you want to go? And she said, Egypt. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, that was right during the, uh, you know, the, all the turmoil there. I go, yeah, I'm not traveling to, e to Egypt with a 19-year-old girl. Uh, but we ended up going to Chile to doing some, look at some counter-seasonal uh, production there, look at some cornfields and some bean fields yeah. in Chile. Wow. So, yes, you guys fun. traveled traveled all over the place. For sure. For sure. So Jordan, what other questions you got? Uh, I was going to ask him. Uh, so what, what the seed business kind of look like when you first started it? Like, was it just you and, and then kind of what was that point when you had to reach out to Julie? Like, Hey, Hey, <laughs> sink shipping, come on, come on over and help us out. Um, 
So we started out uh, doing public wheats and, and soybeans, and then we moved into private uh, soybean genetics. And that happened about the time that Roundup Ready Beans uh, came on the scene. And, uh, you know, we were stupid. We didn't know that the volume of seed that soybean seed that was sold wasn't very high because most guys were keeping their own seed, uh, you know, but we had a fair size farm. So we just produced it all and started, you know, selling and, and Roundup Ready was very popular. So it wasn't too long after that, that, you know, we just needed more, more direction. There was only like three of us to start with me and a couple guys that were working on stuff. And then, uh, I had a little office, six, uh, 16 by eight foot square office in the, uh, above the shop. And, uh, Julie moved in with me and we, uh, kind of took off from there. Um, wow. So, How many employees you have now? Uh, 60 something. Oh, wow. So, you know, we're a small company. Um, but, um, and we are so blessed with the team that we have. We've just got, uh, we just got great people. I hear people complain about the younger generation. I don't know what they're talking about. The, the people that we've got on our team from, you know, in their twenties and thirties and forties, they're, they're amazing. They're awesome. They work hard. They do a great job. And we're just, uh, it's a, it's a joy every morning to get up and come to work. I think part of, part of what we tried to set out to build was, uh, culture where people really wanted to come to work um, because being a part of a team um, allowed them to contribute. Um, We're not necessarily building individual contributors. We're building a team. Um, And we really modeled that culture on high tech, um, you know, and, and lots of touch points and, and building a culture where people are recognized and um, are individual contributors to the team. So the team has to, has to make it. Um, we've had, we've got people that have been here for 20 some years. Um, really? wow. And it is, we just have really low turnover. Um we don't, we're not the highest payers. We're certainly not the lowest, but, um, you know, there's, there's more, you want people to have fun every day when they come to work. Um, and we've done some crazy things here. Um, we've had remote control forklift races and I mean, we'll try and do fun stuff. We have something called the joy squad who is charged with bringing, Unexpected joy. joy to people. Unexpected though. Unexpected joy. Um, yeah. So yeah, we just have have a fun team. So I I got to give Julie all the credit for building the company culture. Um, you know, I'm a farm guy. Like, yeah, when she started talking about culture when there's maybe five of us, and I'm like, what are you talking about? You hire somebody, you pay them a wage, they come to work, they do the job, they go home. That's it, right? So I no no, it's more important than that. You got to build the company culture that people want to be a part of and uh, uh fortunately i listened to her and that's what you know she worked a lot on and uh, i think that's uh to me when i look at when i look back at our success you know it's great to say hey we we're able to provide high quality seed to farmers that can help them raise their corn soybean yields and uh maybe find some innovative things that's great right uh love that uh 
we have some dealerships that are independent business people that, you know, if we can provide an opportunity for them to help build their business, you know, I love that too. But uh, more than any of that is to be able to build a, a place where people can have a home, uh, a work home, and uh, can feel like they're contributing. And uh, that's really the greatest sense of joy, for, I think, for Julie and I. Yeah, I agree. And that's probably like, Jordan, how many times have we discussed that? I would say if someone had to ask me my biggest weakness, I would say it's the way I was brought up and raised. It was just outwork everybody, you know, and just yep. outwork everybody and outwork everybody. And so a lot of times when I got into higher up positions, I would just be like, I just, I just do it myself. I mean, you know, you just, I'll just do it myself. And then I never was focused on building a team. And, uh, you know, and I look back now and it's like, that is the most important thing. If you're going to build bigger businesses and, and do multiple revenue streams and multiple channels. And, and I see that as a problem with a lot of my farmer friends and producers, you know, they're kind of like you were saying, Carl, just, ah, hell, I'll just do it and get out there and outwork everybody. But, and then just, you know, hire your hired hands. And I had the same attitude you just said, Carl, like, wait, I'm exchanging this nice wet check. I'm expecting you to do your work. Now go on home, you know, and that. Yep. And my wife would say transactional. That's transactional. You're right. Very transactional. That's a huge, huge mistake. And that's what I'm trying to teach Jordan. I told him, I said, look, son, you have got to build teams and you have to be a great coach. And you got to pick people up and you got to make them want to work for you and work with you and be a part of your family. And there's just yep. so many variables there that are so, so important. And it sounds like, yeah, you guys had both, you know, Carl driving and uh, Julie. So Carl is, is kind of chief innovation officer now. He doesn't have a lot of people reporting to him anymore. We have a, a fabulous general manager um, who is, really a good manager yeah. um way better than i ever was and and that's an art don't you agree carl i'm not good at it. i tell my kid i i i've seen people i'm okay but i've seen a lot better let's put it that way of people that are a lot lot better so well and a so lot of entrepreneurs fail in in that you know as they grow their business because they that's not their strong point their strong yeah. point is the innovation and the entrepreneur um, not the management. So, yeah, yeah, you're so, right. So, uh, if you want somebody to like line up, here's a system we're going to operate. We're going to put this all together. You know what? I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Now, if you want somebody to maintain that day to day, I'm not your guy. I'm yeah. off doing something else, but I want to back up just a little bit to what you were saying, Kevin, my, my father, God bless him. He taught me so much, but his answer to any problem was, We'll just have to work harder then. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like, prices are down. We'll just have to work harder then. Late spring, we'll just have to work, whatever it was, we'll we'll just have to work harder then, right? Uh, later years, I used to tease them. I said, you know, when, when you were in charge of getting everything done, by gosh, we always got our work done, right? And he'd kind of beam a little bit. And I'd say, half the time we're doing the wrong thing, but by gosh, <laughs> we got it done. <laughs> exactly. I can tell you so many times, dad would just say, my grandpa, just keep your head down and not work them. Just keep your head down and not work them. I'm like, well, I think there could be an easier way to do this. Yeah. We'd yeah, take our head you know what? If you do both, that's 
kind of a good thing. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. You know, you still got to keep your head down, not work them, but you know, yeah. you had to try to do it smart too. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I agree. But, <laughs> no, but you know, I had a, I, you know, talking about being a coach, I had a conversation with, uh, we've got a, a great young agronomist that handles all the stuff from my farm and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he goes, hey, I think you should go look at these fields. I think they're about ready to go. I'm like, well, Michael, you looked at them, right? Like, yeah. Well, why should I look at them? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, it's like, you think they're ready to go? Well, let's, let's go then. And uh, I don't need to stick my finger in there because, you know, he's going to make his best decision anyway. So, Yep, I agree. That's that other issue, like Julie said. I mean, I think a lot of people, that you know, you want to start micromanaging and then, then the people don't feel like you trust them. And then, you know, I mean, it's just a lot involved with it. And it's, yeah, building that team is so critically important and, and giving people a sense of purpose and a place and where they feel like they're part of the team and all. I mean, it's just, there's a lot to think about there that yep. sometimes you just overlook. So were you yeah. guys, uh, were you guys like actively re recruiting at that time, like trying to go find new employees or were you kind of just letting them come to you? Like, Hey, I want to be a part of this. And, they'd reach out to you. How did you guys go about like getting new employees? How do we hire? Yeah. How'd you go about hiring? Um, we have a, I mean, you're always recruiting. Um, we try and have, we have an excellent reputation um, for probably innovation and good place to work. Um, but you're always recruiting. Yeah. Um, when we looked for, for Scott, when we were looking for somebody that could, could fill in during transition away from Carl being the primary manager um, of the department. Um, you know, you start looking through your network and who have I met? Um, and you got introduced to Scott through somebody else, right, Carl? Yep. I think a mistake that uh, a lot of us make is that we think, well, I'm in the seed business. So I have to find somebody in the that's in the seed business that understands, sure. you know, the seed business. And, and yeah, that's helpful, but Scott, um, his background is, you know, as an auditor and then he sold ammunition across the world. And uh, then he worked as, you know, business development as a recruiter. Didn't know the first thing about seed when he came here, uh, our controller worked in manufacturing, our director of sales was in the grocery business. Uh, you know, it's like, Hey, uh, Corn's a tall one, and uh, you know, and you kind of learn as you go. Um, but that brings a lot of new ideas and different approaches to, uh, to to things as well, right? I mean, and that goes all the way to the beginning, right? We didn't have a history in the seed business. We didn't have any mentors or teachers or any experience. So it's like, well, this looks like this might work. Let's try it. Well, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you don't, you're not stuck into a rut of, of. Uh, yeah, well, this is the way we've always done it because we haven't vision. always done it. Yeah, and I did that a lot with my businesses, and a lot of people would be like, "How are you hiring that guy?" I just looked for good people and people that I mm -hmm. thought would be in my foxhole for my family, and I would be for their family. And uh, I've had everything from kid that worked at a dry cleaners come to work with us, uh, my buddy that was a golf pro for a number of years that came, and you know, it's just. I think I like it too, because like Julie's saying, uh, when she came from her other business, it just brings a lot of different perspective mm -hmm. and I can do the same old better sameness. I mean, 
I like it when I bring some people in from that have no idea of how our world works and then they can use some of their uh, knowledge from their world and share it with us. And I think that does help a lot. So I, I think that is really important, but. Yep. And once in a while you run across somebody who, uh, you know, you think would be an excellent uh, team member uh, that might be available and you don't necessarily have anything. So it's like, yo, what are we going to hire? We're going to hire this person. What are we going to hire him for? I don't know yet, but we want him on our team. I agree. I totally agree with you. We've done that several times for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, I wanted to ask you guys too on, um, so you guys sell, are you guys, do you guys only sell in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota? Is that right? Or That's correct. Um, you know, it's pretty easy. It would be really easy for us to find somebody in the middle of Wisconsin or in Northern Iowa that, you know, wanted to sell our brand. Right. But I don't know the middle of Wisconsin or, and we don't have the, we don't have any advantage there. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have people that, you know, have worked in those areas. We, we want to stick to our knitting and stay to the places, uh, that we know. Um, you know, if you look at the most successful, uh, independent seed company in the industry that would have to be Bex. And for many, many years, they said, we draw a circle and we don't sell outside of that circle. Now they've changed that philosophy lately, but I think that was a big driver of their uh, early success. So, um, uh, and, and let's face it, we drive by a lot of fields that we're not on, uh, on the way to those places. So why wouldn't we stick to where people already know who they are, who we are and, have some idea of our reputation and, and, and we can be helpful to them because we know that area. We know the products at, at that area. Yeah. And that speaks to probably our focus on long-term success rather than short-term. We really work hard at not making short-term decisions um, or, or decisions that, that will benefit us short-term, but not long-term. So our philosophy is, um, keep the focus on long-term, the short-term will work out. If we make the right decision for the long-term, the short-term will work out. That's a great piece of advice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. People should have that hanging on the wall. <laughs> I would agree hundred percent. So. Yeah. And it's hard to a... do sometimes when you're oh, under very. pressure. Yeah. But, very hard to do. But you'll never regret it if you, yeah. if you keep making the right decision for the long-term. Yeah. You know, um, I, and we have a few things that, you know, I kind of call it management by mantra, right? Um, you know, one of the things that we say a lot is that at the end of the day, who we are is a lot more important than how much we sell. Uh, I'm sure we could be a bigger company if we, you know, cut corners here or there, at least in the short term. Um, but, you know, that's not who we want to be. Uh, that's really most important. Yeah, oh, I agree. And I've seen a lot of companies get way off track by, you know, allowing the short-term gains to kind of, you know, get in their eyes. And the next thing, they are way off where they want it to be and uh, things go horribly bad. So, yeah, that that's yep. very good. And, and I think that's a challenge for all companies, small and large. You know, the, the large public companies really have a problem that they have to deliver quarter re quarterly results. Yeah, um, and, you know, that's that's pretty difficult. Um, you know, we don't focus on the next quarter. Uh, don't pay much attention to that. 
yeah. focus on doing the right thing. And we just sort of assume that, you know, that'll take care of itself. Did you guys have outside investors or outside money you had to answer to or boards or? Uh, nope. Uh, it's pretty much a bootstrap kind of a thing. Um, That's kind of nice. Uh, and having survived the eighties, you know, we bought, we bought farmland that, uh, at 16% interest that three years after we bought it was worth half what we paid for it. Wow. Uh, and if you, uh, if you struggle through that and survive, you get a little cautious on, uh, both debt and other investors. Right. Uh, uh, and so, uh, yeah, we've built a lot of stuff. We've done a lot of stuff, but we've been pretty conservative financially. Uh, our oldest son, uh, in the world that he lives in, there's a lot of outside investment and things. And he's, he always was telling us, well, you know, dad and mom, you should, you should be raising some money from here and there and you should be doing this and the other thing. And, uh, you can grow faster. And my response is kind of like, you know, you're probably right. We probably could, maybe we should. I don't want to. <laughs> That's me. Same thing. Everyone's told me the same thing. Oh, I should do these raises and rounds and I mean, I'm like, I don't want to answer to these people. I don't want to exactly right toward people and have to show growth when you don't, you know, you don't want to grow in that area. Or you, like you said, you don't feel you have a competitive advantage, but they want you to keep showing top line growth and front end growth. You know, it's crazy to me, but it's a different world. So, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it, but no. um, it's not what we want to do. No, same here. Same here. Uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah. We've always tried to measure ourselves three ways. You know, we're not not necessarily concerned about quarterly results. You know, we're long-term focused, but we do always look at where did we come from? Are we better than we used to be? Where are we right now against our peers, our competitors? But holy cow, where could we be? And that vision is pretty pretty bright and we're always moving toward that we reinvent ourselves i mean in 30 years you know we're just not the same company that we were we try and hire people that that know how to be flexible because or you know are able to change because we're not we're reinventing ourselves all the time yeah so what's the future look like for you guys um you know i'm 64 years old Julie might be somewhere in that same area. I'm not going to say, but, um, you know, smart so, man. Um, we, we got a few years left in this. Our kids are not going to come home. One of the things that we said for a long time is that we need to grow this business to the size that it can be managed by uh, non-family uh, leadership. Right. And we're building a leadership team that can do that. Uh, as far as ownership structure, we still a little bit out on uh, how we're going to, do that if we can transition that in some way. Um, but, you know, I tell people that I'm more optimistic about the future than I ever have been. And, yeah. you know, that's just not something that we say. Uh, and part of that is, you know, we've come over some of those hurdles. We don't have to, we don't have to fight some of those battles that, you know, are already over. So we can look, we can look beyond and say, we're going to, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, we, we think there's an opportunity to more, move more into IP grains. Uh, you know, I know you work with Benson Hill and some of those kind of things. Uh, we're doing some similar projects uh, with people. Um, provide That provides opportunities for farmers uh, and, you know, new crops, different things going on. When I was uh, 
15, probably nobody had ever, probably 12, nobody had ever grown soybeans or sunflowers in this area, right? And then by the time I was in my 20s, it was a major crop. So try to look ahead and go, what's the next yeah. uh, version of that? Um, you know, we're in an area where there are 20, 30 different crops grown commercial scale. It's not just corn and beans. Um, you know, and how can we both participate but move the needle on some of those things? Uh, because some of those things, you know, are huge competitors, uh, Bayer and, and Corteva, they're not really interested in, in that scale of a project, but it's meaningful to the farmers and it can be meaningful to a small company like us. Yeah, what do you, what, how do you think younger farmers are going to be able to get started here with some of these crazy land prices and things like it is? What, do you, what are you seeing up in your area? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, it's a little scary having, you know, like I said, come up and started farming in the 80s. Um, you know, and um, I think it'll sort itself out. There's, there was never really in my lifetime an opportunity where uh, it was easy for somebody who was not a, on a farm background to start farming on their own. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I have several neighbors that did it and have done so successfully, uh, so it can be done. Uh, but it's like any other capital intensive business. Uh, you know, how do you how do you start in a capital intensive business with no capital? Yeah, it's difficult. Well, I agree. I agree. So I don't feel like I just don't feel like land prices are going to set back anytime real soon. It doesn't feel like I mean, I guess if we drive prices lower, you know, here on corn and beans, we get uh, low break evens for a few years. I guess you'll see some land come up for sale, but you definitely have a bigger pool of buyers, I feel, than we've had in a long, long time with the funds and some of the other people and pension funds and people just looking to uh, invest in land for the long term, like, you know, like Julie would say. And so there, there's there's a lot of buyers for sure. So, Well, and if you're buying with high equity and uh, and have a long enough term focus, yeah, I'm not sure that this is a fair statement that you can't lose buying farmland. Uh, but it's a pretty good bet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, but if you're buying on margin, yeah, uh, you can get you can get uh, hurt pretty bad pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's what we see. It's uh, most of the bigger funds and the pension funds know that you know they're paying all cash and looking on a thirty year time horizon and clip a few coupons here and there. And at the end of the thirty years, your your money's going to be worth more than than it was when you started. So I I think that's probably a pretty solid thought. So. We, yeah, we, I think it's a I think it's a better story now than ever too with a lot of those funds and why they're investing just with the carbon and climate change stuff like that just helps their overall business being involved in farms. So sure, but I would caution that you know in the in the late seventies, uh, kind of the line was you know you better buy farmland now because they're not making any more of it, right. and somehow in the eighties they must have made a whole lot of it somewhere because. <laughs> <laughs> it all dried up i hear uh, you yeah when anybody says can't lose or it's got to go up um uh, i get pretty nervous pretty quick i would agree especially with these interest rates where they're at now and inflation how it is i don't know we'll, we'll see but even it. even interest rates kevin you know i hear people talk about high interest rates i'm like you know what you're talking about yeah you know these are normal interest rates honestly 
what was unusual is that period of near zero interest rates. That's almost never happened before. I agree. Uh, um, so yeah, no, I agree for sure. Yeah, six percent. People are complaining about the six percent on their thirty year mortgage now, and I'm like, man, I remember back when I was young, you would have given anything to have six percent. Exactly right. At eight and a half, you thought you were doing really great. Yeah. I think I said this before, but our our, our farmland mortgage was sixteen percent when we yeah. first got it. So it's uh, crazy, crazy. Yeah, so we had twenty percent operating interest the first year out of the shoot. Uh, yeah, no wonder it didn't work that well. No, <laughs> I hear you. I agree. So yeah, and a lot of these young ag tech startups uh, in ag, you know, they don't have any of that in their playbook. Uh, you know, they had zero interest, uh, one, two percent interest in the playbook. And now it's holy smokes. So, yeah, we've been getting tons of calls. Uh, you would know, Carl, people wanting me to send more money and uh, need capital calls. <laughs> Everybody's out of money right now. Huh? So, yep. I think. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, some of the valuations here a year, and a year or so ago in, in tech generally, but ag tech as well. We're, we're, yeah. Uh, they're obviously ridiculous in in retrospect, but they didn't seem so at the time. Yeah, true, true. Always the case, right? Hindsight yep. 2020. So, Jordan, what else you got? That's about all I had on my end. Was there anything that uh, we should ask you or you guys wanted to bring up or that we haven't uh, talked about already? We've had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, we sat down and we were going to like make a plan for this whole thing. And then, you know, life happens. And so we're sort of kind of winging it a little bit. As always, Julie put more time in preparation than me. I just kind of show up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, but yeah, that, no, it's a lot of what's fun. Anything new coming down the pipe? So you started wheat, you said a couple of years ago. and um, So, yeah, so we were working in yellow peas, ultra high protein yellow peas. Um you know, Jerry's a little bit out on how that's going to how that's going to come out. We're spending a lot of time, at least in research, on biologicals and ag tech, yeah, um, uh, to see if there's a play for a smaller company uh, like us. Then, like you know, like many industries, you know, when things start out, things change. There's more margin opportunities as things mature. Margin opportunities tend to narrow up a little bit. You know, we're seeing that in our core businesses. Uh, so we're looking for other uh, other things to play with. Uh, and, you know, kind of my charge to our team is to look out into the uh, primarily egg, but not necessarily exclusively and say, all right, we've got this machine here. We've got research. We've got production. Uh, we've got relationships with dealers and growers and suppliers and genetics companies. What else can we do? Uh, with this engine that we built, right? So we're constantly exploring those kind of opportunities because, you know, 10 years from now, um, this company will look different. What does it look like? I'm not sure that I can tell you that, uh, but it will look different unless we're sitting here thinking, well, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, which case 10 years from now, we might discover we're a buggy whip company in the advent of cars and, uh, uh, we just don't want that to happen. So we're going to keep driving forward, looking at new things, uh, things that maybe, you know, don't make sense right now, might make sense later. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of things that we're like, well, we tried that, didn't work. Uh, but, you know, that's part of the fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that, you know, build your core engine. Like you said, your research, your marketing, your network, and 
heck, you're pretty much uh, able to do whatever whatever comes along that uh, looks like a little fit, and you can add some value to it. So, yeah, exactly right. Great model for sure. So, awesome, Jordan. Thanks. That's it. I uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this with us. Learned a lot, and hope everyone else learned a lot as well. So, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. You guys ever get to Kansas City? Well, uh, oh, my wife and I maybe we'll go to dinner or do something. Or, uh, you'll probably be a little busy in January, but we'll be there for FarmCon. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> and sure. uh, and we'll be reading. Uh, we'll be reading your thoughts pretty much every morning. I, sometimes I get a little behind, but yeah. Uh, uh, and then once in a while on Thursdays we uh, we try Michelle's recipes. So there you uh, go. Exactly. It's all pretty good too. So we've really enjoyed what you guys are doing. And, uh, uh, you know, honestly, it's, it's a, a little bit of a fresh approach that we, uh, we love to see. So appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you guys again. And thanks Thank for being Thank you, Jordan, for setting yeah. it up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks a lot. See you guys. Thanks okay. for coming back. All right. See you. Bye.